Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed the perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. And hello and welcome to From the Diamond here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney back with you as we have reached the series that I think everybody's had circled on their calendars for the better part of about six months or so. Braves and Mets battling it out this weekend. we got so much to talk about from Game 1 as the Braves picked up a 5-2 victory thanks in large part to a power display from the offense and a very gritty performance from Max Fried. We'll get into that and all the big stories that the Braves have as they trend toward the end of the season. Now tied with the New York Mets, 98 wins apiece for these two clubs. They seem like they're headed for the century mark, but... What's going to be enough? What is it going to take to win this division? We're going to find out over the next five days. We'll be with you here over the next hour on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. I want to remind you, as always, if you are catching from the Diamond for the first time, well, we appreciate that. But you can also find us wherever you get your podcasts and on the Odyssey app. Corey, we were both at the ballpark last night. It felt like that October vibe was in the air. It was very familiar because the Braves have played some of the biggest games in uh, recent franchise history at Truist Park, and last night's atmosphere and that final score did not disappoint the sellout crowd. Man, it was absolutely electric, and obviously for the pitching matchup that we had that you know maybe didn't come to fruition on both sides, I think the way that you were expecting with the resumes these guys have, but I mean, Truist Park was absolutely, again, just electric. The guys that we've been waiting on to make an impact for the better part of the last month were all there, all coming through. I mean, it was, uh, we're all tied up in the, the, the scenario. So many of them that oh. you know, the Braves still wind up with that fifth straight division <laughs> title still very much in play. You know, both teams have punched their ticket to the playoffs, but you know how important the division is to both of these clubs. We talked to Brian Snitker before the game on Friday. He reiterated, you know, that is our goal. We want those off days. We want to be able to reset and recharge and be ready for the National League Division Series. And what they want is all out in front of them. He also talked about the importance of winning game one. Well, put a check in the box next to win game one. And we're going to talk about what it took to get that victory, of course. But as these two teams have played all the way through the season, the win- the lead for the Mets at one point was up to 10 and a half games. The Braves whittled that away. Then the Mets would push it out to three, four, five games. The Braves would whittle it away again. And now, you know, we're sitting here with five games remaining in a 162-game marathon Braves are two wins away from 100 for the first time since 2003. And again, I have to ask that question, what's going to be enough? Because as we know, and we'll talk about a little bit later, the scenarios for what the postseason could look like for both the Braves and the Mets, a lot of things are still in play here. Yeah, they are. And certainly, you know, the Spencer Strider element of this, I think, was a big storyline for course. the Braves in these pitching matchups going into this series. But you've still got Kyle Wright, you know, the, the MLB wins leader. You've got Charlie Morton, a guy that you just, you know, invested in for next season and potentially 2024 as well coming up in these next two right. games. And again, you've got those bats that we've been waiting on uh, in Matt Olson, uh, Austin Riley, and Dansby Swanson coming in in such big fashions with long balls against Jacob DeGrom on Friday night. But 
Uh, I mean, we can go through these scenarios whenever you want, but there's still so much at play here uh, where, I mean, nothing. The only thing that's decided upon at this point is that the Mets will not be uh, popping champagne come Sunday night at Truist Park. No, there will be no clinching the division on the Braves field and in the visiting clubhouse at Truist Park. Let's keep that tradition alive for a long, long time because I know at the last few years at Turner Field, it felt like there were one or two teams a year punching their ticket to the playoffs, winning a division, whatever it may be. And it was happening down at Turner Field in the Visitors Clubhouse. And you just don't want to be on the other side of that. The Braves, meanwhile, have been on the right side of the biggest celebration that you can have. And clearly that is still their goal. And Max Fried was the man who was on the mound in that decisive Game 6 of the World Series. All he has done is continue in 2022 to establish himself as the ace of the staff. Now, we knew that Max Fried and Jacob deGrom was going to be a, a must-win game for both of these teams. And I feel like you had to look at it from a brave side of things and think, there's nobody I'd rather have on the mound to win this game. But we didn't know. Max Fried was not quite 100% last night. In fact, the guy was ill before the game, pushed himself through five innings, was, was caught on camera sick in the dugout, nearly you know vomiting in a trash can. If he didn't, then I, I don't know. I didn't have instant replay for that. But either way, this guy was really giving the team everything he had to help win this game, knowing the importance of it. So, hey, hats off to Max Fried. You talk about giving it his all. He certainly did that. Yeah, that was the one thing I do not want to see exit velocity on no, is what happened no, no, in the, no. uh, the dugout there. But uh, removed after 71 pitches, five innings, four hits, one run, three strikeouts, no walks. Nobody knew, right? I mean, Brian Snicker said that after the game. They had no clue that he was feeling uh, as ill as he was. And, you know, that was that was literally the note that we got from the Braves uh, uh, media relations team is he was removed with illness. Uh, they would not go any further than that. Um, replaced by Colin McHugh to start things mm-hmm. off. Rossiel Iglesias, uh, A.J. Minter, uh, Kenley Jansen with some shakiness down the stretch there. But um, the bullpen came up in a big way and just, a, I mean, uh, pun intended here, gutsy performance out of Max Freed. Sure. And on the other side, Jacob DeGrom leaves early as uh, anyone expected as well. But um, just a, a really strong outing from Freed uh, considering all he was dealing with. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and for Max Freed, you know, he was not available post-game either. I mean, this was a guy who was that sick. And it's one thing to be under the weather a little bit. It's another thing to go out and basically push yourself to the point of exhaustion to where that illness probably kicked into a whole other level for him. And, you know, Brian Stitcher, I know, said after the game, had I known the extent of what Max Freed was dealing with, he would not have been out there trying to push his way through five innings. Hell, he might not have even started that game, but, you know, who knows? And as it turns out, this is kind of, you know, I saw all these jokes and all these memes on Twitter about, you know, the flu game. Remember the Jordan yeah. flu game? Of yeah. course, Max Fried had his flu game last night, and it helped the Braves beat the Mets and tie this division race up. Now, you talked about Matt Olson a minute ago. You brought his name up anyway, and I feel like he has been turning things around over the past week or more, at least on that road trip, things started to look up for him. His go-ahead home run off Jacob DeGrom, back-to-back home runs with Austin Riley in the second inning, that's the kind of moment that we've talked about Matt Olson finding here in this final week and moving into October that will erase pretty much all memory of the slump that he got into for most of the month of September. Yeah, I mean, he was he was hitting well below league average in the month of, of September. I mean, a 48 way to run create a plus. And I mentioned this to you last night. The season he's having is just so unlike what we've come to expect of him. He hit 271, 267 the last two 162 game seasons with the A's and now he finds himself you know with the with the 31 home runs the low batting average the walks the strikeouts I mean this is the kind of season that you think of with those real three true outcome guys ran the numbers he's right there with the likes of you know Kyle Schwarber Chris Davis Adam Dunn Joey Gallo Mark Reynolds that's not what you think of when you think of uh, of Matt Olson and certainly the the slugging's been there and last night you know I mean that's the kind of moment right there as we get you know into October 
this is what they need from Matt Olson. I mean, turning on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball from Jacob deGrom, hitting it over the Braves' bullpen, and that followed a shot to center field off the bat of Austin Riley. I mean, these are two guys we've looked at in September and said, hey, where did, where did it go? Where's the production? You need these I mean, hitting three and four for most of the season in some order. Now you see Austin Riley has bumped down to the four spot in the order. It's a cleanup spot that I think he's excelled at throughout this season, certainly. Matt Olson maybe trying to take some of the pressure off. Brian Snitker moving him down to five. That's put the rookie standout Michael Harris the second in the third spot of the order. I think that's a pretty exciting development, but we'll talk about Michael Harris a little bit more later. But how about Austin Riley? This was an important time for him to get himself back on track, and he's been aware of this for a while. He knows, and, and trust me, the players are very aware of when the results haven't been good for them at the plate. But it's also about how are you feeling, where is your confidence level at as a hitter. We caught up with Austin Riley before the game yesterday to discuss what this has been like for much of August and September, trying to find his way back to the highs he was experiencing heading into the All-Star break. You know, I felt like my bats have been there. You know, I was talking with Seitzer and Mags, our hitting guys. It's just, I felt like in the past with my slumps today, it's just been a bunch of strikeouts. It's like I'm not striking out just a whole lot, you know, putting up getting bats, going 3-2, and then just missing my pitches. So it's just a matter of dealing with that. And I like my cage work. I like my BP work. So it's just a matter of going out there and executing a plan. And, um, you know, like I said, it takes one barrel to, to click and get hot again. So, you know, just looking forward to that. Well, he was looking forward to it. He didn't have to wait very long for it, Corey, because his home run in the bottom of the second inning, that felt like that jolt because the Mets had just gotten a run, and they got it with some shaky defense in left field by Eddie Rosario that kind of opened the door for them to grab the first run of the game. And if you're a Braves fan, I'm sure as you look at the head-to-head between these two teams and the way that little things can be big things in games like this, you had to think, oh, no. Here we go. I mean, and if Max Fried is going to be undone by his defense, this could be a very rough night. The Braves, they were able to, you know, lock down that defense after that. And the big home runs from Riley and Olsen, you talk about a swing that can help turn you around and get you feeling, you know, that the confidence maybe you have in your pre-work that Austin talked about is translating into the game. I would say a home run to dead center off one of the best pitchers on the planet is a pretty good momentum shift. He, he wanted one barrel to get things going. He absolutely got that because he came in one extra base hit on a home run on four seamers in the month of September. He had 20 doubles, triples, or home runs through the, against that pitch last month uh, alone. And, and yeah. The average, it was more than 100 points uh, below his expected average on the pitch. And Think about this. Only Giancarlo Stanton now has more home runs off Jacob deGrom than Austin Riley with three. He's hitting 300, 333, 750, which is 6 for 20 in his career against the best pitcher on the planet. And that's an amazing, I think, attribute about Austin Riley is I do feel like as he has grown as a big leaguer, I mean, there has not been a moment that has been too big for him. I mean, clearly he was on the biggest stage of them all last year, getting some very meaningful hits for the Braves throughout the postseason. You just want to get get him hot, get him right at this time of year heading into that October run. You know the Braves are going to be in October. How are they going to get there? What's it going to look like once they get there? Those are the uh, the questions that we're going to be answering here over the next five games. Also in this one, Dansby Swanson came through on Friday. His 23rd home run of the season, it came against Jacob deGrom as well in that final frame. 100th home run of Swanson's career, and we've talked time and again about the Braves needing to find the big hits against this Mets team in particular. That sometimes has been missing in the matchups head-to-head between these two clubs. 
Yeah, and with, with Dansby, too, I know he's in the midst of a career year, but he's really, I mean, it, it's been a downward trajectory through him. You think about back in June, he was hitting 66% above league average. It slips to 121 in July, 87 uh, weighted run creative plus in August, then his worst month of the season at 80 going into yeah. uh, last night against the Mets. So he needed to break out. They need, I mean, they, honestly, I mean, I know as, as key as, as Ronald Coon Jr. is at the top of that group, if they can't get these three guys going who all homered sure. last night, sure. I mean, they are severely limited and what they're going to be able to do over the next month. You absolutely are, and you can't expect the bottom of the order to carry the weight for this team to the level that it has at times this year. You need these guys hot. You need them going. They're your run producers, and the guys who come through in the clutch, quite obviously, and those are the guys you want to see those big hits from here in the biggest games of the season. we got a lot more to get to here on From the Diamond. Grant McCauley and Corey McCartney with you on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. More coming your way right after this. This is From the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. And we continue here on From the Diamond. Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We are in the Kia studios on a wonderful Saturday as the Braves and Mets will continue their weekend series. It's one of those that feels like it's for all the marbles, as they used to say, in a maybe bygone era. But nobody's going to be clinching this division over the weekend, so we know that the next five games are when it's all going to play out. How's it going to look? We will talk about that coming up here on From the Diamond, of course. But let's get back into some big headlines for the Atlanta Braves and, and discussions that we were having, Corey, you and I, at the ballpark yesterday. In particular, before the game, Brian Snitker updating the status of a couple of key injuries, and I don't think there's any bigger injury right now that has the uh, attention of Braves fans than that of Spencer Strider. We're not going to know about his availability, I don't think, for uh, any round of the postseason just yet. While there is, I think, a cautious optimism that they caught this early enough and that this rest that he's gotten is going to allow him to get past this oblique deal, we know that oblique injuries, Corey, they're notoriously very tricky, and it seems like time and rest are the only two things that really help them subside. And this is a situation that we just have to continue to monitor with the playoffs looming because if you're looking at a playoff rotation, if you're looking at mine, if you're cheating off my page here, it would be Max Free, then Spencer Strider, and then Kyle Wright. So this is something that you very much need an answer to, but time, it seems, is, is going to be the only answer we have right now. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I guess I found it a little bit alarming yesterday when Brian Snicker said that he hasn't thrown at all, and they, you know, they he, he uh, Snicker said that he worked out a little bit, you know, with uh, Strider yesterday. So imagine, you know, the, the legwork that Strider puts in. You can see Snit right in there with him doing some squats and whatnot. But yeah. um, it is a little bit alarming, though, to think about the fact that they don't know when he's going to start throwing. I mean, obviously, if they get into the wild card round, it's going to look very different than if they get it, that extra rest and not need him until they get to the NLDS, but um, no timetable at this point feels, I guess, a little bit scary in terms of his postseason availability. Well, my, my read on Brian's comments before the game yesterday was more so, I mean, clearly he threw the last time prior to them deciding to skip his start, and when, in that side session, he had that discomfort still lingering in that oblique. Now, when is he going to throw again? I think it could happen soon, within the next handful of days, because you're going to have to know, he's going to have to test it out, but the big key to me, the takeaway was that, you know, Snit said, he felt fine before the last time he threw. He feels fine now, but we won't know until he does get off the mound and actually exert himself at you know close to, if not a maximum effort, so that you know exactly where this thing is. But you're right. I mean, not having a timetable is not the kind of situation that you want to be sitting in if you're the Braves. But you know they have been very careful. I feel like with the language of what kind of injury this is, this has not been called an, an oblique strain Correct. as of yet. Yeah. It has just been called the, the, the discomfort that he felt in that area and that you know, kind of keyed them into, all right, we want to make sure that we're able to cut this thing off because when this injury was first announced, 
Brian Snitker said he wanted to start this game, but uh, we went ahead and told him that uh, we're going to take that decision out of your hands. Yeah, I mean, these sometimes can take six, eight weeks to heal if you actually have the strain, and then you obviously have the uh, situation where you can very easily, when you think about all the twisting and turning that goes into pitching, uh, that you can you know certainly aggravate it, and then you've got a whole another issue, and a guy that obviously throws with the velocity the strider does. I mean, this getting to it early was huge, but, I mean, again, you you don't have you know the opportunity if he is out for any extended period of time to go have him throw a couple innings in Gwinnett or whatever. You might no. run a simulated game. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, I, I just, I, I'm not saying that you're not going to see Strider in the postseason. I just find it troublesome to this point that he's not been cleared to start throwing yet. Absolutely. And I think that's what is on everybody's radar is like, okay, well, when are we going to get an update on Spencer Strider? And is that update going to be of the positive variety so that you can get him back in there? Because there's also that thought about, you know, his last in-game action on a big league mound against an opponent is going to have been two, three weeks between his final start of the regular season and the work that he will be doing in the postseason. That at least has to be a little bit of, uh, you know, call, I wouldn't say cause for concern, but certainly you, you pause and think, wow, this is throwing him right back into the yep. fire. But Spencer Strider, I mean, as I've said many times, if you're creating the perfect kind of pitcher to put in a postseason rotation and he rolls off the factory assembly line, it might look like Spencer Strider, I would think, at least one version of this thing, and that's why the Braves need him in there uh, so very badly because I feel like he has a potential to be an absolute monster at a time in which you're looking for as many monsters as you can find, of course. Now, the Braves also remain hopeful they're going to get Ozzie Albies back at some point in October, but it seems like that is going to require a little more time as well. The good news was he's been fitted for a smaller cast. He was taking ground balls prior to the Braves game yesterday. He's not going to be able to hit the broken finger, the, the fractured pinky is on his throwing hand. So, you know, there's a, kind of a limit to what he's able to do right now. But I would imagine for Ozzie Albies, after spending nearly three months working himself back from that fractured foot, that the workouts have not stopped. The intensity has not dialed back any. He wants to be ready to literally hit the ground running as soon as he is cleared to do the baseball activities that he needs to do to be able to be out there and be the starting second baseman for this club. We just know we're not going to see him before the regular season. Yeah, so. the x-rays were good. You know, Brian Snicker updated him yesterday. They, they, I mean, again, not cleared to return. I'm not cleared to really do much of anything that yeah. you need him to do in, in terms of being out there and, you know, swinging a bat and, and being out there running the bases, playing second base outside of taking uh, grounders pregame. So, uh, I mean, he's obviously, as you mentioned, he's a guy who spent so much time away. It, you know he's antsy to get that thing off and get rolling back out there. But you know, it's just... I mean, you hate to say wait and see, but that's really where you're at right now in terms of Ozzie Albies. No, you really are. I mean, it's kind of a wait and see for two you know, very important members of the Braves. And I know that the Braves spent half of the season mathematically you know, prior to this most recent injury without Ozzie Albies. He missed 81 games due to the fractured foot. This was just a cruel and unusual twist from the baseball gods for to have a, you know, to have a fractured finger in his second game back from a very long rehab process and feeling like you were going to get that jolt, that little momentum boost from having Ozzie Albies back, and the Braves were denied that, of course. Uh, outside of the injuries, you know, the Braves' bullpen is something that we seem to talk about on a pretty regular basis. And I'm going to be honest with you, if you've watched the Braves' bullpen all year long, and I'm talking from the collective, it is not perfect every time. But if you start to dive into the numbers and really look at what the Braves' bullpen offers in comparison to the 29 other clubs in baseball – you should be very well aware that no bullpen is perfect, A, and that B, this is a very good group that has done some serious work to help the Braves be in position in the position that they are right now and is primed to be in that position to make a big contribution to the Braves' playoff run because we know once you do get to the postseason, that bullpen is going to be managed a little bit different, and we got a whole run-through on that last October. So I bring all that up to say 
Have we talked enough about what Colin McHugh has brought to this club? Because his role in the middle innings, including throwing on short notice on Friday when Max Fried got sick, this guy has come in and very quietly established himself as a force in the middle frames to help bridge the gap to the late-inning relief core for the Braves. Yeah, over the month of September, the Braves' bullpen has the best ERA in baseball by half a run. At 1-7-0, the, the Astros are behind them at 2-2. They're in the top five uh, in the majors in war over that period, second in the National League at 1-5. And, um, yeah, I mean, Colin McHugh has just been fantastic. And then to come in like he did last night on basically little to no notice, you know, Austin Riley said after the game he knew that, Max Fried was out of the game when he saw Colin McHugh coming in to, yeah. to get on the mound. We saw, you know, uh, McHugh in the bullpen, you know, with no hat on. I'm sure he was just rushed up and said, get out there. They're going to need you. Freed's got to get out of this game. So I, I just thought it was huge for the way, you know, I guess, though you're punning there, McHugh, uh, to come yeah, in the way he did last Hashtag night. McHugh. There you go. To come in the way he did last night, just on the fly and get them through that uh, that sixth. But um, yeah, I mean he's two two five ERA over the past month. He, you know they've obviously got him for up to two more years with an option for twenty twenty four. So he's just crucial in terms of. There's not a whole lot of guys that you feel like you could roll for multiple innings out of that group, and certainly Colin McHugh has the ability to do just that. Yeah, I feel like he could. I feel like they may hold themselves back from doing that a lot of times because you want to make sure he is available then for that next day or the day yeah. after that because it feels like there's a very formulaic way that the Braves are going to go in the last four innings if they need to. They'll go McHugh in the sixth. They'll go Rysel Iglesias or A.J. Minter in the seventh, depending on the matchups. Then Kenley Jansen will get the ninth inning. I know things got a little adventuresome on Kenley last night, but by and large, he has looked better uh, after that Seattle meltdown. That was the one I think everybody looks at. And and there are a couple, the one in St. Louis as well, and uh, the one against the Dodgers. And every closer, every bullpen is going to have some of those games where it just doesn't go the way that you need it to. But when you think about this group in totality, and the other high-leverage relievers the Braves have to keep games close and keep them where they need to be before you even get to the ninth inning. I mean, this has been a very, very good group, and it's not just talking about A.J. Mentor, Rysel Iglesias, and uh, Kinley Jansen, and and some of the names that you hear in the 7th, 8th, and ninth. but we're looking at what McHugh has done, Colin McHugh has done, Dylan Lee and Jackson Stevens, I mean, there have been some big-time contributions that have fortified this group they might get Kirby Yates back before this thing is all said and done. That's a former all-star closer. You'd love to have him back in there if he's healthy and able to contribute to it as well. But, you know, I just look through it, you know, one through seven, one through eight, however many guys are in the bullpen on a given night, you feel better about this group than I think a lot of clubs feel about the totality of their bullpen, the whole uh, the whole core, the whole relief core. Yeah, I mean, and in September, Dylan Lee's got a .90 ERA. Jackson Stevens has, has been flawless uh, with no runs allowed. And it's really interesting to think about the fact that they've been this good and they've got, you know, five guys who have had a two two five ERA or lower in this month. And Tyler Matzik, who was such a big piece of the puzzle oh, for right. them last year in the postseason, is sitting at over almost a four and a half ERA in this last in the last month. He's just not been able to get that fastball velocity back to where it was where we were used to a year ago coming off that injury. He's been a, a negative war player for a lot of the season. And this they've been that good and that deep with a guy who was a crucial piece of the last year's postseason really struggling to find his rhythm again. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about that night shift that the Braves had a year ago. You lost Luke Jackson, the season-ending injury, the elbow injury. Tyler Matzik has not looked quite the same. A.J. Minter is out there doing his thing. Will Smith was traded away at the deadline. One guy. I mean, the the big horses that you were relying on to go through that October run a year ago, how crazy it is that it all seemed to change, and it changed very quickly over the first few months of the 2022 season. Now you've got a different group, but I feel like you have to have some amount of confidence in these guys, but it all is going to stem to, or stem from the Braves offense doing the things that it needs to do on a given night so that the bullpen can protect these leads 
and the Braves starting rotation as well, doing its part to help set up the bullpen for success in this one. Uh, Speaking of the Braves rotation and some of the success that they've had here in the second half, Bryce Elder has played an important role in a handful of different starts. And I know that we're talking about outings against the Miami Marlins and the Washington Nationals, but there's going out there and eating some innings, and then there's going out there and doing what Bryce Elder has been doing. Last time out, a complete game shutout, the first by a Braves rookie since 1990. And it's just the latest thing that this guy has done for you. And I feel like at this point, it's not a stretch to show or to say that he should be getting some consideration for a role on that postseason roster. Because if you do need a long guy, somebody that can come in and save your bullpen and eat, you know, two, three, you know, maybe more innings. I mean, similar to the role that Kyle Wright had as a chunk reliever in the World Series last year. I mean, you'd have to look at Bryce Elder as being perhaps the best candidate for that. I know the Braves have Jake Odorizzi, but I mean the Jake Odorizzi acquisition has had far more downs than it's had ups at this point. And I feel like if you're if you're looking to feel the best team, which of course you are in the playoffs, Bryce Elder has got a hell of a resume that he's going to be sliding across that table when you're making that decision. Yeah, I mean think about the the growth that we've seen in Bryce Elder through those first four April starts. He had more walks than strikeouts, a four seven four ERA. His last four outings a .65 ERA, 20 strikeouts, 8 walks. And then meanwhile, you've got Odorizzi, who has a 5.97 ERA in those 8 starts since he was acquired from the Astros. Whatever happens with Spencer Strider, somehow he can't go, uh, you know, in the postseason. You've got to go, you know, to that four-star. Let's say they're in the in the wild-card series. You get no day's rest, and then you got to flip around and play in the NLDS. Bryce Elder is all of a sudden a guy that you could look at, yeah, as an option for long relief. He may end up being a potential starter if they have to go into that route and they cannot roll with Spencer Strider to start the NLDS. Yeah, and when you do think about the off days that Major League Baseball took away from the schedule, and I know they didn't do it just to be contrary. They did it because there's a lockout situation and they're trying to have the World Series over before Thanksgiving. But, you know, I, I could give thanks to a lot of people who, who you know, didn't really help us out in getting that lockout you know, taking care of a lot sooner, but it is what it is, and you are going to have to rely on your depth, and it's going to include your starting rotation. You cannot roll with three starters and try to make it through this October because mathematically you're just not going to be able to bring, unless you're bringing guys back on two days rest, which I don't think has happened a whole lot since World War II, but I could be wrong about that. Well, that's what's going on with the Atlanta Braves this week as far as big headlines are concerned. When we come back on From the Diamond, we're going to be turning our attention to what is happening in the week to come. Five games in which the Braves, two of them against the Mets, and the New York club are going to figure out who's the winner of the National League East crown. We'll size it all up for you. Take a look ahead at this weekend's matchup with the Mets and, of course, that Marlins series that follows. I'm Grant McCauley. He's Corey McCartney. This is Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Now, back to more from the Diamond. Sports Radio, the game. Diamond, Grant McCauley, Corey McCartney with you from the Kia Studios on Sports Radio 92.9. The game as we're rounding out a very, very busy, a jam-packed hour full of Braves headlines and what is the most exciting time, I think, for baseball fans uh, just about any year round. You're, you're knocking on the door of October. The Braves and the Mets have themselves really the only race to watch at this point in the season. Kind of crazy to see the American League picture came into uh, focus yesterday as if Seattle Mariners, congratulations to them. 21 years outside of the postseason, they get a walk-off home run from Cal Raleigh to send them to October, locking down that final wild-card spot on the AL side. Meanwhile, as you do look in the NL, well, you've got the Cardinals in the Central. You've got the Dodgers out West. We haven't decided the East, and I guess there's a little bit of intrigue going on with the wild-card between the Padres, the Phillies, and the Brewers as well. Padres are, are on less shaky ground, but man, the Philadelphia Phillies picked a bad time for a September swoon 
as they have opened the door wide for the Milwaukee Brewers, who had really opened the door wide and been kicked out of the penthouse in the National League Central. So I guess there is a little bit more intrigue, but as far as divisional races are concerned, it's the Braves and the Mets and you know, this next five games is going to tell the story, Corey. Yeah, just a half game uh, separates the Phillies and the Brewers right now for that last wild card spot. Congratulations, as you mentioned there, to the Mariners. I think the worst thing, though, about the situation is they get in, but as a wild card, unless they can catch the Blue Jays, they're not even going to get a home, home game. Games, yeah. I mean, that's like the worst part of it, right? You wait 21 years to get in the postseason, you're all excited and not a single game is going to be played in Seattle. But it's steps, right? Yeah. Like you want to take that step forward. If you have the opportunity to be there, even if you have to play in the neutral site, which we saw not long ago, <laughs> you'd assume just get to the postseason, have a chance to win it all. But I think for the Mariners, a team that you know a lot of people looked at and expected a lot from, and they did not get off to the start that they wanted to, they really were able to turn this into an incredible season, a very fun ride for a fan base that I think when they do get the opportunity to host a postseason game, they're going to show up and show out because they haven't seen this in quite some time. Now, as far as the postseason picture is concerned, of course, we're talking about the Braves and the Mets who have you know, managed to make it all come down to one little series at the end of September and early October. Three games between these two teams. And, and again, nobody's going to be able to clinch the division in this series after the Braves took game one. That is both a good thing and also a good thing because the only team that really could have clinched the series coming in was a Mets sweep. That's not going to be happening. The Braves, meanwhile, they need to win this series. They would love to sweep this series most certainly and have a magic number of one as they head into the final three games of the season. But, Corey, that's just one of the many scenarios going on. I know that you've been trying to wrangle all of these things together. What kind of intriguing angles do you see for the Braves and for the Mets and obviously the implications it has on the other wildcard teams? Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that the Braves – don't want to happen is for the Mets to win a single game because then they get the tiebreaker and there's right. no game 163 anymore. And then everything obviously then comes down to those last three games where the Braves are going to be in Miami playing the Marlins, who, by the way, have Sandy Alcantara lined up to fit, to play the pitch in the final game of He's the regular season. And then the, the um, Mets are going to have the Nationals at their place in City Field. So things not necessarily lined up the best uh, route there for the Braves. But I mean, certainly they just did the modus operandi for them right now is just to deny the Mets one single win in this series because, again, that tiebreaker could come down to everything with a very favorable schedule for both of these teams uh, going in uh, to that last three games of the regular season. Yeah, so, I mean, the Braves and the Mets, it feels like it all comes down to this. The season should end once the series is over, but it doesn't. I mean, this is the penultimate series of the year. And that means that those three games on the other side, and, and talking about both of these clubs, you know, the Braves and the Mets have beaten up on the lower divisional teams, but the Washington Nationals have, not too long ago, given the Mets just a little bit of trouble by taking two out of three in a series from them and earlier in, in September when the Mets, remember, were supposed to cakewalk through their September schedule and roll right over all of these clubs. Well, they slipped on a couple of banana peels, and that left you know the Braves with the opportunity you know, if they continue winning series, which Atlanta did, to be right where we are right now. I mean, the Mets would just assume not be in this position, but this is where they are at this point. So I say all that to bring it back to those final two series. You once again look at at, at a team that you should be beating and that you should beat in each one of those uh, games, but closing out teams, sweeping series, its uh, you'd love to see it. It's easier said than done sometimes because even the worst teams in baseball, like the Nationals or the Marlins, they win one out of every three games, and that's just the averages. So you look at what the Bra- what the Mets have done uh, against the Marlins this season, and they're eleven and five against them on the year. 
Uh, but, you know, you mentioned it. They've struggled against them of late. And then, you know, certainly when you think about, you know, who they're, they're lining up to pitch in that, I mean, it's all set up for the Mets to roll. I mean, they, they're going to be rolling out three starters there who have ERAs of, of five, six or higher uh, in the second half of the season. But, again, they've had their issues against this team. And certainly all the Braves are trying to do at this point is is make things as close as possible after this series. A sweep would obviously change the complexity of everything. Of course. Uh, but one win, man, one one win has everything in the Mets' corner. Now the Mets also, they went through a certain amount of wrangling to make sure that they got the three starters in this series against the Braves that they did because they wanted to go all in. They wanted to go for the jugular. I mean, they were calling up their top prospect to try to put a little more thump in the bottom of their lineup because, you know, that lineup has been suspect for the Mets outside, really, of Pete Alonso, who's been outstanding here of late. And of course, Eduardo Escobar, yeah, he has also been one of the better or one of the hotter hitters in baseball in September, and they've been waiting for him to heat up and make some contributions as well. But they went DeGrom and Scherzer and Bassett in this series, and you start looking at Carlos Carrasco and what's been going on with Taiwan Walker, and they don't want to be bringing DeGrom back in game 162 unless they absolutely have to because of you know the math and the tiebreaker and so on and so forth, and that just falls under the many scenarios. The Mets rotation after DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett Leaves a lot to be desired in the way that they pitch down the stretch. Yeah, they've got Carrasco and Walker lined up for the first two games of that national series. Uh, again, DeGrom is lined up to be that final uh, 162 starter for them. I mean, knowing that he left last night's game early because of a blood blister on his finger and a cut cuticle, I mean, the last thing in the world they want is for Jacob DeGrom to have to go out and pitch that game. Then you've got, you know, needing him to even get that division title. If you don't get it, you're going to be stuck in a, in a uh, wild card series. You've got to start, you know, two days later. And but you know obviously the the most rest they can get for him I think is is of critical with the NLDS if they can get that NL East title they both know they're both going to be in the postseason as much as the Braves want that fifth straight division crown the depth of their bullpen I think gives them a little bit more luxury the Mets have got to win this division because things are just not set up for them depth wise and potentially what you would need out of Degrom and even to get to the the division crown if you need him for 162. And when you do match up these two clubs head-to-head this year, and I feel like the Mets, they kind of had that advantage early on. They went out, they made a statement against the Braves. They made a statement in the entire division by building up a 10-and-a-half-game lead at one point. Let's make that perfectly clear. But as the season has gone on, the Braves, after losing four out of five up at City Field, and a lot of folks look at that, it's over, you've given it to the Mets. Well, you come right back to Atlanta, the Braves take three out of four, at Truist Park. I mean, that was an important answer and a necessary answer. The Braves basically had to go out and win that series after the hole that they were digging in the head-to-head matchups. But breaking these clubs down in each of the different departments, whether that's the lineup, the starting rotation, or the bullpen, I know they've got Edwin Diaz and his wonderful entrance song, but I also know that the Braves' bullpen, as we talked about earlier from a depth perspective, it looks an awful lot better than the Mets' bullpen when you start to look at the totality of the numbers, not just the closers, but the guys that get the game to the closer. Yeah, I mean, to me, that was the the big X factor going into this series was that the Braves, and I mentioned it earlier, that they've been so good in September, the best ERA in baseball from that relief core. Edwin Diaz has been the best reliever in baseball this season, 31 saves yeah. on the year, leads everyone in Fangraph war, but they're 14th in war and 15th in ERA in September, and this was a, a huge advantage for the Braves to take advantage of, and we saw it last night. As soon as DeGrom's out, you know, the Braves were able to ma- manufacture some more runs. They yeah. get the Olsen single, they get uh, Travis Darnot with the double, and then they get back on the board there, so I mean, that that was going to be a, something that could swing in their favor. We saw it play out when the aces of both the staff, ace 1A for the Mets, wasn't able to go deep into the game. Yeah, now they're going to be able to turn to their other ace with a Cooperstown resume and Max Scherzer, and that is the kind of thing that the Braves cannot boast. And and really, how many teams in baseball can say, all right, we're going to go from our one future Hall of Famer 
and to our other future Hall of Famer. I mean, that's why they went on and gave Max Scherzer $40-plus million a year was to be able to have that luxury. Chris Bassett has been a very good middle-of-the-rotation starter for them, everything that they could have asked for from him, I think. But after that, you just look at that group, and it's, you know, what is that going to look like in that final series? That plays in to the scenarios quite a bit here. Now, as far as the Braves are concerned, they've got 20-game winner. Yes, 20-game winner Kyle Wright. Not what we expected back in March, but, man, you talk about one of the great stories. He has been near the top of the list with the Michael Harris's and Spencer Striders and so on as far as what he's been able to do this year. He is the man who gets the call against Max Scherzer in the middle contest on Saturday night. Then is Charlie Morton and Chris Bassett on Sunday. Then we'll see how the Braves line up their rotation. I would imagine you've got Bryce Elder on Monday after that. Really, what is this going to look like in the Marlins series? What kind of moves could the Braves make? Because, you know, they don't want to necessarily have to reset their rotation if they're staring at a wild card possibility and needing their top starters to start those wild card games. Yeah, so they're currently, if you look at you know, the, the rotation turns, it would be Elder, Odorizzi, and then Freed and 162 uh, opposite, uh, opposite Sandy Alcantara. The Braves are not going to be throwing Max no. Freed in that game unless they absolutely need it for a division title. And then you get into the same situation that the Mets would potentially be in with Jacob deGrom, where you've got to turn around on little to no notice and then go into a wild card series, and then you're going to have Freed starting in the wild card on short rest, uh, short rest which isn't, you know, helpful at, at whatsoever. So it, it puts even more emphasis on what they get out of Kyle Wright tonight, Charlie Morton on Sunday night. And Kyle Wright, you know, he's been much better at home. He's had his struggles against the Mets, a 6-2-5 ERA. But his season has been about adjustments, and we've seen a ton of them out of him over the last month. Yeah, I mean, he has been really, I think, at, at the cutting edge of recognizing and making adjustments start to start. He's made them throughout, I think, month to month. I know he went through a little bit of a time where it was an arm fatigue thing, and the Braves were able to give him the time he needed. Hey, thanks, Bryce Elder, for something else you helped us out with there and get him back on track. And, you know, as you look at that Marlins series, I don't want to harp on that too much because we are very much still here looking at the division title possibility if the Braves are able to complete this, you know, at least a series win, but obviously a series sweep is what they're gunning for against New York. And you do get into that Marlins series, but say everything is still kind of tied up. The Mets have that tiebreaker and you have to go for that divisional title win in game 162. At that point, are you throwing Max Freed there if you're the Braves and if you're the Mets in order to make sure you get that division title? Um, you know, that tiebreaker is a nice thing to have in your back pocket. It is, and I just think they're both going to be in such dire situations, the one of them that does end up having to slide into that wild card round because, again, you're not going to get enough rest in order for that you know starter to do anything for you without having to do it right. on short rest. And it's just... I don't. I mean, I think this is where the depth of the Braves really plays in. And what can you get Spencer Strider in line to be able to help you out in the in the in the wild card round? If you know you can, that changes what you're able to do mm-hmm. in 162 if you need it. Now here is the other the the man I feel like is kind of the X factor here. The man with the best postseason resume of any Braves starting pitcher. With all respect to Max Fried being on the mound for Game Six of the World Series last year and closing things out, that of course is Charlie Morton. Now, we've seen the month of September be rather unkind to Charlie. He's had a lot of peaks and valleys, a lot of ups and downs this season. If you look at the season overall, the numbers on, as they say, the back of the baseball card, it's not a bad year, but it was not necessarily the encore of his 2021 year, which was a very good one for the Braves. And it just feels like he's still kind of fighting it out there. A lot of swing and miss, but a lot more home runs this year. That said, I think he's a net positive to the Braves rotation. Clearly, they felt confident about bringing him back next year for $20 million, and congrats to Charlie on that new contract. But, man, he goes into, on Sunday, the biggest start perhaps for him 
of his Braves career outside of when he was on the mound in the World Series last year. Yeah, he's got a 6-2-5 ERA in his last four starts. I mean, he, he it's basically been a roll of dice. He's got six, six starts of two earned runs or less in the second half, six in which he's allowed four more earned runs. I mean, it's just you know, the, the curveball has progressively gotten better, 174 batting average against in this month. Um, the, the other pitches, you know, subsequently have gotten better. The changeup's been really, really good for him. It's been yeah. a marked improvement for him over the past couple months. But I just that's maybe the most frustrating thing with his starts, and I'm sure he would tell you the same thing, is a lot of the peripherals are still there, but the results haven't been. There's no. a lot of, lot, lot of hits batsmen, a lot of home runs allowed. And now you basically are like, okay, what Charlie Morton am I going to get on Sunday? Yeah, you really are kind of asking. And I'm not saying it's been so Jekyll and Hyde that it's either he goes out there and throws a shutout or he gives up eight earned runs. It hasn't been that bad, but there have just been these starts where it seems like third time through the order, for example, against Philadelphia last time out. You know, he got bit again. And the home runs, this is the most home runs Charlie Morton's ever allowed in his big league career. I believe 26 of them in totally allowed 16 in 2021, the only season in which he had a worse home runs per nine was way back with the Pittsburgh Pirates in like 2010. This is a guy who does not give up home runs, but this year he has been susceptible to the long ball. And this is not one of baseball's really, you know, juiced up kind of years where you're just wondering how are all these balls leaving the ballpark. It just feels like some guys have been able to key in on Charlie Morton and tee off on him. Yeah, and the hit, uh, hit batsman, by the way, too, he's one away from his career high of 19. Yeah. I mean, you, you you factor in the home runs. And putting guys on base, you know, via the the hit batsman and the, and the walks, which he's you know had, he has more walks than he's had since twenty almost he's two away from the the most he's had since two thousand and uh, two thousand and twelve. Wow! And those just those three factors, you know, home runs, walks, and free base runners, free base runners. I mean, that's <laughs> your those are the, the three elements that he can control. Uh, within a game, and, and they're they're not in his favor right now, and you're going to need him potentially in a game that could swing everything uh, when we factor in whatever happens Saturday night with Kyle Wright on the mound. Yeah, there's a whole lot of intrigue this weekend at Truist Park. The Braves and the Mets each looking to leave their mark on this NL East race by taking this series or perhaps grabbing that sweep. Braves taking game one behind Max Fried and some key home runs. And we're excited to see what will happen the rest of this weekend. But no, there are three more games for each team on the other side of that. So that'll wrap things up on From the Diamond for this week. For Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. Thanks for joining us here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.